From Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. In one of our recent episodes, Christopher and I were talking about some of the surprising things that have happened since the onset of COVID-19 and the fact that health policy has the potential to shift what we might see next. We are now more than a year into the Biden administration, and we just heard the president's first State of the Union address. So I wanted to sit down with somebody to talk about the policy implications in the healthcare space. Because depending on who you talk to, we might see a lot or not very much. To do that, I have brought back a tried and true guest and friend, Christopher Kearns. Hey, Christopher. Hey, Ray. What's up, girl? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little, dare I say, sick of talking to you at this point. You've been on the podcast a lot lately. Um, I've been on the podcast a whole lot, even without you. So I'm actually looking forward to hearing your voice a whole lot more. Yeah, you get to be the, the guest this time and not the host. Always a good time. A lot less work for me. There's a lot going on in the policy world right now. It's happening inside of healthcare. It's happening outside of healthcare. I want to take a moment and just level set with our audience. We are one year into the Biden administration. What's your take on the posture that President Biden is taking when it comes to healthcare policy? Well, you know, it's been a bit of an odd time for health policy right now because I think at the beginning of his administration, a year ago, we would have expected healthcare to be much more of a priority. You know, we were talking about things like Medicare for all and public option and lowering the Medicare eligibility age. None of us are talking about that right now. And for a lot of obvious reasons, health policy has taken a bit of a back seat in the administration and frankly in Congress right now. You know, of course, there's still issues with the pandemic that policymakers are having to grapple with. Omicron has thankfully passed, but it may not be the last of the variants that we are dealing with. There, of course, is war in Ukraine right now. And frankly, there are a number of legislative priorities that took precedence. Yep. in 2021. It also hasn't been easy to legislate, right? We know that technically there's a Democratic majority in the House, the Senate, obviously in the White House, but we haven't necessarily seen unilateral success when it comes to legislating. I'm thinking specifically about Build Back Better. For sure. And looking back, you know, a lot of the political capital was spent on the COVID relief bill that was passed in early 2021. And then again, in the infrastructure bill, which managed to pass. That didn't leave a lot of political capital left over to pass Build Back Better. And at this point, as of this recording, it does look like it's dead. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe I'm going to bring this up, but we're not that far away from thinking about midterms, which also changes the calculus when it comes to bringing forth possible legislation. For sure. In fact, the rule of thumb on Capitol Hill is that you can expect to see big bills get passed until about April of an election year. After that point, you can expect that most legislators are going to be heading home for their re-election bids. I'm in complete agreement with you right now that it's an odd time in healthcare. Healthcare has been maybe a little bit more quiet than we would have expected. That said, when I sat down to watch President Biden's State of the Union address, I was actually a little bit surprised at how much airtime healthcare got. There were lots of quick hits to some longstanding Democratic priorities, as well as some some new policy programs that were, were being kind of announced. So even though it's a weird time, 
policy in general isn't dead in healthcare, even though Build Back Better might be too far gone at this point. For sure. So let's talk about some of the immediate questions around policy. And I can't help but talk about the actual crisis that we are still living through. COVID-19 has obviously been tragic, but the healthcare industry has benefited from some of the payment changes, some of the changes in regulations that have been offered because we are in a public health emergency. My question to you is, can those flexibilities continue indefinitely? Potentially and technically, yes. The public health emergency can be extended as long as the HHS secretary wants to extend it. But the politics of doing so are a bit fraught right now. On the one hand, there are a number of constituencies out there, especially within healthcare, that would like to see the PHE extended unless we get some sort of action from Congress because it allows for better reimbursement for telehealth. That's just one example. At the same time, there are a number of different constituencies not in healthcare who would like to see the PHE ended yesterday. Yes. So right now you've got policymakers in a bit of a catch-22 on that front. And there's an open question about how much regular people understand the the classification of a public health emergency, but we're already seeing some of those political moves kind of shake out. Now every single state, Hawaii was the last state to end a, a statewide mask mandate. So clearly there is pressure to make it feel like we are oh, I hate this phrase, but back to normal. Absolutely. Of course, hospitals, health systems, healthcare leaders don't want to go back to the way things were in 2019 when telehealth wasn't reimbursed, when APPs couldn't practice independently, when they weren't benefiting from all of the things that that frankly support healthcare institutions under a public health emergency. Exactly. And I think that a lot of healthcare leaders would like to see a lot of those flexibilities made permanent. But the reality is that unless you want to extend the public health emergency, for which there is not a great deal of support in the wider public right now, that's going to require an act of Congress. See all the challenges with passing legislation that we just talked about. So in your mind, then, is there a chance for new healthcare legislation to be passed anytime in the near future? I think so. There are a number of must-pass bills that have to get through Congress that are related to spending. And a lot of these issues that are not controversial can very easily find their way into those bills. So I'd be watching for a lot of omnibus spending bills as opposed Mm -hmm. to looking for flexibilities that come in a modified version of Build Back Better. But I wonder, right, one of the big messages that was loud and clear in the State of the Union address was an effort to focus on mental and behavioral health. And obviously, Biden was elected, at least in part, on his record of getting bipartisan support. Is there in your mind an opportunity for something like a bipartisan effort, maybe in one of the big areas that he proposed as being a focus for this year? This is a really interesting space to watch. And I personally am going to be spending a lot of time looking into some of the details of what will be going through Congress over the next few months or so. Because if there is an area for a big bipartisan win, I think it's here in the mental health and behavioral health space. We should remember that for the better part of the past 40 to 50 years, behavioral health has been defunded in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And that looks like it's changing, fortunately, for the first time in a very long time. We could see new reimbursement, new flexibilities for treating behavioral health that we haven't seen in a very long time. And I think It has a chance of getting real bipartisan support, given that the behavioral health challenges that we've experienced in this country over the past two years have affected just about everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat. So I think this is a space where we could see some real change. Will we get that in 2022? I don't know. 
Will we start to see momentum around it building? Absolutely. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. Healthcare news is nonstop, but the daily briefing can help you stay on top of what's happening. Each morning, we come through a thousand news clips from industry, national, and local outlets, and then sum it up in a daily newsletter. More than 130,000 healthcare leaders read the daily briefing because it's the best five minute snapshot of what's going on in healthcare right now. To subscribe and get an email to you, click on the link in the show notes. We're talking about policy, and I often feel like there's a sense of permanence when it comes to policy. Something has been passed. We need to accept this decision and react to it. It's black and it's white. But there's actually still a lot of open questions about how previously enacted policies are going to impact our industry right now. Especially when HHS is being sued by the American Hospital Association. Okay, let's get into this. I don't want to get down too much of a rabbit hole, but this is probably something that our listeners have heard rumblings about. What exactly is happening here? So the details of the case are a bit arcane, but its implications are pretty huge here. And effectively, from the healthcare perspective, the American Hospital Association is suing Health and Human Services, saying that it does not have the authority to reduce reimbursement for hospitals that get 340B status that allow them to get drugs at lower costs than they otherwise would get. And you're exactly right that this is coming up in the context specifically around 340B. But my question is, could this have implications elsewhere? This has huge implications that go well beyond healthcare because this is getting at something called the Chevron Doctrine, which is a Supreme Court precedent that essentially says that courts must defer to regulatory interpretation in areas where language might be vague. Now, that could be getting revisited, meaning that tons and tons of statutes that are passed by Congress that essentially leave it to the regulatory agencies to interpret could get challenged in court going forward. And we don't even know exactly all the different areas where that could be effective, but expect that if Supreme Court were to strike down that historical Chevron doctrine, we could start to see many, many challenges to regulatory interpretations, which has huge implications for healthcare, but not just healthcare. And that's exactly why we're going to be watching when the Supreme Court hears that case later this summer. And our listeners are are probably going to be watching as well. I also think that our listeners are paying close attention to what happens with surprise billing and price transparency. My hypothesis here, which is maybe a bit pessimistic, is that the No Surprises Act is an area where our hospital friends might be dragging their feet a little bit. Yeah, this is an area where there are also a lot of ongoing lawsuits. A little bit of background here is that you've got the AHA and AMA that are separately suing to challenge the rule, saying that it unfairly advantages insurers and motivates them to cut providers out of their network in order to lower the median in-network reimbursement rate. So again, pretty arcane stuff here. Now, HHS has the option to appeal, but recent memos suggest that they will instead amend the rule. So the feet dragging may have worked here a little bit. Hmm. What about on price transparency? Well, this is an area where hospitals certainly were dragging their feet to comply. 
at first when the penalties were pretty modest. But as the penalties have gone up to about $2 million, we are starting to see hospitals looking to comply with the letter of the law in the regulatory environment. One thing to keep in mind, though, is that the price transparency rules are meant to help consumers and, frankly, wholesale purchasers make apples-to-apples comparisons for different hospital and insurance prices. Whether or not that information is going to be apples-to-apples in comparison is really an open question. And frankly, both insurers and hospitals have an incentive to make sure that they're not. We've talked about a bunch of policies so far, those related to the pandemic, those related to the healthcare industry more broadly. But there is still a lot of policies that could potentially have an impact on the healthcare industry. So Christopher, I actually want to propose that I put a little bit of your policy knowledge to the test. Can we do a bit of a rapid fire section? Sure. All right. I'm going to name a topic that is potentially ripe for congressional action, and I want your take. Let's start with market consolidation. Expect a lot more resistance coming from the regulatory environment, probably from both FTC and justice, more so than we would have seen during the Trump administration. But it's not going to stop a lot of organizations from trying. Physician payments. Going to have to get resolved, probably in an omnibus bill from Congress coming up soon. Here's a big one that everyone loves to talk about, drug pricing. Definitely a big priority for the current Speaker of the House. Not really gotten a lot of traction in the Senate. Don't expect it to go anywhere in the short term, but it's possible that we could see Congress and the regulatory agencies turning their attention to other parts of the drug value chain. So I guess that means the game's over. So how'd I do? You won. You won knowledge. (laughs) You are the you are the winner of of all the nerds that are tracking everything that's happening in in policy. I'll take that. Winner of all the nerds. I'll take that one. The truth is that every one of our listeners is probably paying attention to a different aspect of health policy. The the policies that are most likely to impact their aspect of the healthcare industry. I actually want to ask you, Christopher Kearns, directly, what are you going to be watching for? Well, I'm not going to be focusing just on congressional action because, as we mentioned before, I think there are a lot of reasons to expect Congress to drag its feet across 2022, though I do think behavioral health is one that we can be watching. I'm going to be looking at the states for sure to see Mm. what sorts Mm -hmm. of innovations we can see there. Now, we've seen a number of areas around universal coverage, for example, that have been dying in the state houses lately. But I think the states are where we can expect to see some innovation in payment innovation over the next few years. And I'm going to be looking at the judicial branch, uh, which I can assure you is definitely going to be an area of change across 2022 if we get some big decisions from the court. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be watching that very closely, especially when we think about the future of Roe v. Wade, right? There are absolutely going going to be changes that we're going to have to react to as an industry. And it's not just Roe v. Wade, it's Planned Parenthood versus Casey. I think there are a number mm-hmm. of different implications for what the Supreme Court could decide on reproductive rights. I do think that revisiting the Chevron doctrine could be huge. Yes. So the court is likely to be some of the biggest areas of change if they rule in particular ways. Yeah, we we started off this conversation saying we're going to talk about legislation, but but really our conversation kind of veered into talking about the Supreme Court quite a bit. But something that, you know, we don't often talk about here mostly because the Supreme Court doesn't take up healthcare cases all that often. I mean, I think the last time we really focused on the Supreme Court was back in 2012 
when they were deciding on the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. And there have been some challenges since then, but that was the last really serious, big challenge that we saw in healthcare. I think 2022 could turn out to be another year like 2012. Hmm. Well, Christopher, what is the one thing that you want our listeners to focus on when it comes to health policy? I got to say, I'm pretty surprised you didn't ask me about some of the really big things, such as the healthcare workforce or value-based care, or what I know is your absolute favorite topic, which is health equity. You didn't ask oh, me about any of those. there's a reason for that, though. There's a reason for that, Christopher. It's because, okay. you know, they are big enough topics that we need to have dedicated episodes on them. So you're right. I skipped them, but I skipped them for a reason. It's also important to keep in mind, these are areas that Advisor Board is going to be spending a lot of its time on over the next yes. several months. So I, I know you'll probably want to do a lot deeper dives in those areas. That's exactly right. But you're not going to get away with not answering my question. So we do know that we need people to be thinking about value-based care, health equity, the workforce. But what what do you want our listeners to, to do? What do you want them to focus on? I want them to focus on the fact that the pre-pandemic workforce is not coming back. So that any policy change or any industry change is going to have to start by accepting that and realize that new care models and new technologies have to be part of the solution. Because otherwise, if we think we can just throw money at this, we're deluding ourselves. Yeah, regardless of what Congress says, regardless of what happens with reimbursement. I could not agree more. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on Radio Advisory. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Even absent huge legislation, there is clearly a lot to watch in the policy space, and we want to help you unpack what that means for your part of the industry. So stay tuned for more from us. And remember, as always, we are here to help. Yay! Yay! That was good.